When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. There's usually quite a lot riding on a debut performance. If you're heading to a new promotion under a new contract, then you're going to want to arrive with a bang. Best case scenario, you make a statement, put everyone in the division and all the fans on notice. But not everyone gets a favourable matchup in their first fight. Some debuts have to come on short notice or against top competition, which only makes it all the more impressive when, against the odds, the newcomer pulls out the win. I'm Bailey and from MMA On Point. All right, guys, first pay-per-view of the year. We've got a bloody good one, all right? Drickers Duplessis, Sean Strickland is going to be an intense freaking rival a clash but have you put your bets down yet we've partnered with DraftKings once again and we've got a very special deal for all you new customers out there if you sign up and bet just five dollars you can get two hundred dollars in bonus bets instantly all you got to do is download the DraftKings sportsbook app and use the promo code on point you could also do same game parlays you can even do multiple bets on the same fight so you can pick things like the number of rounds or the method of victory if you're already a DraftKings customer no problem they've got no sweat same game parlays as well that you can check out if your bet doesn't hit they will even give you a bonus bet back, although there are some limits that apply. So if you want to check it out, all you got to do is download the DraftKings Sportsbook app, use the code ONPOINT, bet just $5, and they will give you $200 in bonus bets. That's our code ONPOINT, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Big, big shout out to the MMA OP Hall of Famers, who are the channel's top supporters. And these are the 10 most insane upset wins in MMA debuts. Number 10, Rich Franklin versus Evan Tanner. Most people will know the Ted Talking former maths teacher Rick Franklin as one of the best UFC middleweight champions of his era. That's all before Anderson Silva came along. But, you know, despite going 11-0 in the first three years of his career, anyone but the most hardest of core MMA fans didn't have much of a clue who he was. Those 11 wins were impressive, but he'd not really beaten anyone of note and he'd done it in small promotions across the US that basically didn't get any TV time outside of that one fight in the IFC where Aaron Brink's foot got stuck in a fence. I don't know what's going on. Brink's is motioning to the referee and they're stopping the action. I'm not sure. Stuck in the cage. He's actually fallen between the edge of the cage and the floor there. (laughs) After 11 wins though, the UFC were ready to bring him on board, but for his debut, they put him up against the UFC veteran Evan Tanner. Now, Evan had been the first American to win the Pancrase Neo Blood Tournament in Japan when it was peak MMA, and he was already 16-1 before he made it to the UFC in 1999. Three years later, he was 7-1 in the UFC and had only lost to Tito Ortiz in a title fight. UFC fans knew him, and Rich Franklin was essentially a nobody and came in as the underdog. However, it took Rich just about three minutes to figure out Evan and knock him out. It was a shocking UFC debut and catapulted Rich to the top of everyone's UFC prospect list. Number nine, Drikas Duplessis versus Roberto Soldich. Before the South African agricultural expert made his way to the UFC, he started his combat sports career as a K1 kickboxer, where he won the 2012 Waco World Championships before transitioning to MMA after realizing, like most people who take up the grueling sport, there just wasn't a lot of money in it. He spent the first four years of his career fighting exclusively in South Africa, where he won the EFC Welterweight and Middleweight Championship, finishing all 11 of his opponents, eight of them by submission, if you can believe it or not. 
He'd established himself as a star and basically the top prospect coming out of South Africa, but to the rest of the world, he was essentially unknown outside of the extremely hardcore fan base. But that's when Polish MMA powerhouse KSW picked up the phone and invited him to travel to Europe and take on their welterweight champion, the man everyone called Robocop. Roberto Soldic was an absolute wrecking machine who had won titles in four different European promotions and was being looked at as one of the best fighters not signed to the UFC. Very careful about... Oh, Considering nobody knew who DDP was and that he was going into hostile territory, it wasn't surprising he made his KSW debut as an underdog with Soldich coming in as a minus 300 favorite. To everyone's surprise though, but again, looking for that left. Oh, he got rocked. Down goes the champion with a big shot. That came from nowhere. Duplessis in there, it's all over. It was a shocking upset for KSW fans and pretty much put DDP on the map as a future star. Bye bye, Pepsi Cola. Hello, holy wine. What the fuck was he talking about? Number eight, Joe Lozon versus Jens Pulver. Everyone knows that season five of The Ultimate Fire was the best one, mainly because of all the lightweight stars that would come off the show and make a career in the UFC. And one of those guys was Joe Lozon. But there was something else going on with Joe that made that particular season of the show even more interesting. After racking up a 13-3 record on the US regional scene, only losing to guys that would go on to have their own UFC careers, Joe receives a phone call from the matchmakers inviting him to make a debut at UFC 63. Turns out the former UFC lightweight champion, Jens Polver, was making a return. He'd spent some time in Japan after vacating the title back in 2002, and although he'd done well in Shuto and Pride, he ended up losing to the top guys like Takanori Gomi and Hayoto Sakurai. Still, his return to the UFC was highly anticipated. This was the guy who had stopped the unbeatable BJ Penn just a few years earlier. The UFC wanted to ease him back into competition and give him an unknown but still credentialed opponent he could score a big win over, and they picked Joe, and the matchmakers had Jens as a minus 400 favorite. But to everyone's surprise, Joe came out and launched a combination that KO'd the former champ in just 47 seconds. It was unbelievable, and he accepted the call to join the Season 5 cast of The Ultimate Fighter, where he would be again matched against Jens, but this time as a member of Team BJ Penn. It was a strange situation, but it only made watching Joe on the show all the more interesting. Number 7, Pete Williams versus Mark Coleman. After UFC 1, everyone thought that jiu-jitsu was the best martial art and fighters learned that just because you're on your back, that didn't mean you couldn't win the fight, if you knew submissions, of course. But then Mark Coleman came along and suddenly the thought of trying to work for submissions from your back seemed like a terrible idea when you had a guy as big as Thor trying to drop hammers on top of your head. Coleman absolutely smashed through UFC 10 and UFC 11 and at UFC 12 had a super fight with Dan Seven and submitted him in just three minutes to become the first heavyweight champion. Yeah, he seemed unbeatable, but Maurice Smith showed just a few months later that if if you could outlast him, all those muscles were being sacrificed for cardio. But that didn't mean when he came back the following year, he still wasn't considered one of the scariest men on the planet, especially when he was matched up with a UFC newcomer in Pete Williams. Now, nobody in the US really knew Pete at all. He was from the Lions Den, which at the time certainly was a big deal. But making your debut against the former heavyweight champion, that was a big ask. But he'd seen what Maurice had done the year before, whether in the early storm. The fight went to overtime and that Lions Den cardio was no joke. Pete landed a thunderous head kick in what can only be described as an insane upset over the former champion. Definitely not a bad way to make your UFC debut. Number six, Brandon Moreno versus Luis Smoker. Well, there's more ultimate fighter fuckery again here at number six, but instead of making his UFC debut before going into the tough house, Brandon Moreno made his debut before the show was even over. 
I mean, it kind of made sense. The Assassin Baby was arguably a part of the toughest season ever with 15 other flyweight champions from around the world. And he was ranked last out of all of them. And because of how the tournament bracket worked, he had to fight the number one guy in Alejandro Pantoja in the very first episode. He lost. And so when the top 10 ranked Luis Smolka's opponent fell out, well, the tough season might not have been over, but we'd already seen that Brandon was out of the competition. So the UFC booked him on short notice. Smolka was on a four fight win streak over some tough guys, including finishing the highly touted Ben Wen, which put him as a minus 500 favorite over the Mexican newcomer. But Brandon shook up the entire division when he choked him out in just two minutes. He was completely cowed out on the show and in his UFC debut, but Brandon proved he was absolutely UFC worthy and of course would go on to become world champion and it wasn't the last time he came through as the underdog either. Number five, Yuri Prohaska versus Satoshi Ishii. For as big of a star as the Czech Samurai has become, it's pretty easy to forget that he's only had just four UFC fights. People are lucky if they are just about to break into the rankings after four UFC wins. I mean, that's less than Alex Pereira, but in that time, Yuri has already fought for a UFC title twice. So what was he doing before that? Well, if you don't know, he spent most of his career in Japan fighting in Ryzen. Growing up, when he wasn't playing football, he was notorious for getting into street fights. Apparently, he's been in over 100, and most of them were Green Street-style football firm brawls. After all that, though, he dedicated himself to martial arts, and in just over three years, he had already competed in 17 fights, amassing a record of 14-2-1 in promotions, mainly in the Czech Republic and Russia. That all got him an invite into the Ryzen 2015 Grand Prix. The brackets were pretty stacked, with some names you'll recognize, but at the time, Yuri certainly wasn't one of them, and in the first round, he got the Japanese-Croatian legend Satoshi Ishii. In the last five years, Ishii had only ever lost to Fedor and Krokop, making his name in IGF, beating a bunch of legit guys like Tim Sylvia, Pedro Hizo, and other heavyweights from across the world. The Grand Prix was also happening in Japan, where he was a superstar, and he came in as a minus 600 favorite against Yiri. BJP pushed the pace from the opening bell, and it took him just 90 seconds to land a head kick and take out the favorite. Even better, though, Yuri followed that up in the next round by being the first guy ever to beat Vadim Nemkov. I mean, he really did just come out of nowhere. Number four, Houston Alexander versus Keith Jardine. Because if his name is Keith Johnson, then the Dean of Mean makes no sense. You're, you're right, Mike Goldberg. Thank you, Joe Rogan. Season one of The Ultimate Fighter had been such a success, there were perhaps even more eyes on the cast of season two. And although the show produced some seriously talented fighters, not many people counted Keith Jardine among them. It wasn't like he didn't have the determination or the drive to be a fighter. It was just his style made him seem super awkward. And most people really didn't think he was maybe at the same level as some other light heavyweights already in the UFC. That's why when he KO'd Forrest Griffin in the first round, it blew a lot of people's minds. I mean, he'd already lost to Stefan Bonner, but then he was able to beat the winner of season one. MMA math works every time, doesn't it? But it did mean a lot of people had a newfound belief in the Dean of Mean. And then out of nowhere, the UFC announced the arrival of a new light heavyweight in the division. Some guy called Houston Alexander. He was an absolute unit of a man and may have well have been 6-1, but his wins had come against absolute nobodies in promotions deep down in the heart of bumfuck nowhere. For his debut, they matched him up with Keith coming off the biggest win of his career, and Houston was a massive underdog. Jardine was up there as a minus 600 favorite. Keith clipped him with a left hand, which sent Alexander into a Guy Ritchie movie-like rage, and he started spamming right hands until he KO'd Jardine in just 48 seconds. Not overly surprising after seeing the chimpanzee style Keith adopted in that fight, but still, it was a massive upset in a UFC debut. Number three, Junior Dos Santos versus Fabricio Verdum. 
back in the day, good technique wasn't exactly always necessary as a heavyweight in MMA. Actually, you know what? Screw that. I mean, look what Francis did recently in his early UFC career. It was about as simple as the plot to John Wick 1. Punch, punch, win. But one person who emerged early on as a heavyweight with some calculated striking ability was Junior Dos Santos. He didn't actually start training boxing until 21 years old, and after turning pro just one year later, he showed off his natural talent, finishing six opponents on the Brazilian regional scene, all in the first round. That got him a ticket to the UFC as a complete unknown, and he was matched up against Fabricio Verdum. This was before he'd tapped Fedor, and Verdum was known for his time in Pride, where he'd scored some big wins but come up short in the openweight Grand Prix quarterfinal against Antonio Nogueira, a man who held the UFC interim title and someone who he desperately wanted a rematch with. Now, JDS was a teammate of Big Nogs, and he was determined to stop Fabricio from reaching that belt by any means necessary. Based on his pride run and the fact that he was now also on a two-fight UFC win streak, Fabricio came in as a minus 650 favorite against the newcomer JDS. But his boxing skill was on full display as he measured Verdun before scoring the knockout of the year, cracking him with an insane uppercut in just 90 seconds. JDS entered the UFC with a bang and then went undefeated all the way to a UFC title. Number two, Marina Morose versus Joanne Wood. Back when women's MMA was first getting started in the UFC, there were a few potential stars who popped up who were supposed to follow in Ronda Rousey's footsteps. And when a new season of The Ultimate Fighter started to crown a champion for the new women's 115 weight class, a lot of people looked at Joanne Wood to maybe be that girl. After starting Muay Thai by accident when she went with her brother to a class at just 13 years old, she'd done what a lot of girls hadn't by starting martial arts at a relatively young age. In 2009, she was named Muay Thai Fighter of the Year in Scotland. She went 19-2 as a pro in her career, winning numerous European championships. She then became Scotland Scotland's first ever professional women's MMA fighter. After going 8-0 with four wins in Invicta, she got invited to join the cast for season 20 of The Ultimate Fighter. On the show, though, she was submitted by Rose Namajunas, but JoJo won a UFC debut, was still undefeated as a pro, and the hype chain was real, helped by people like Dana White and MMA Media. On the other side of the world, however, the boxer Marina Moroz had also been boxing from a young age, before switching to MMA, fighting in China and Russia, going 5-0 before the UFC picked up the phone and invited her to come and join the emerging strawweight roster. She was given JoJo in her debut, and the odds for this one were crazy. Wood was a minus 700 favorite against the UFC newcomer. About a minute into the fight, though, the boxer Morose pulled guard into an armbar and tapped the undefeated JoJo. It was a cracking debut for Marina, who's still in the UFC and now coaches the Ukrainian Olympic boxing team. Number one, Sokaju versus Lil Nog. Pride definitely did a lot of things right when it came to managing their superstars. The matchmakers, and well, I guess Yakuza, did a great job engineering fights for their champions, of course giving them legit competition, but also at times setting them up for fights that were essentially just spectacles to show off the prowess and build hype for their superstars. The Noguera brothers enjoyed immense popularity and success in Pride. They had amazing jiu-jitsu and the Bushido spirit, with the older brother winning the heavyweight championship and Little Nog going on a six-fight unbeaten streak before he finally lost in a decision to Shogun Hua in the 2005 Grand Prix finals. He then took a year off before bouncing back with a TKO win over Alistair Overeem, but as the curtains seemed to be closing on the organization, they wanted to set up Little Nog with a fight that would send him out in a big way, and they found Sokaju, an African judoka that was about as jacked as a man could be and still weighed 205 pounds. He came in as one of the biggest underdogs in betting history at plus 1,250, with Little Nog being drawn up as a minus 2,500 favorite. This is the kind of fight that if I was in Back to the Future, I'd travel back in time and put my life savings on. He says, this book will tell me the outcome of every sporting event till the end of the century. In an absolutely insane upset that was definitely not supposed to happen, Sokaju's Pride debut ended with him landing a series of knockout blows on Nogueira in one of the craziest turn of events the sport has ever seen. 
Right, everybody. Hope you enjoyed that one. I enjoy that little topic of a hot nugget. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I love this this topic. Biggest upset debuts. There's some crazy ones on there. Okay, Yuri Prohaska just became even cooler to most of you. I know that. Thank you as well to all of you channel champions out there. They are members here on the channel. There's a lot of cool benefits to being a member. If you want to join them, you can click the button down below. Link in the description as well. Fun stuff. Get involved in some of the exclusive stuff. But thank you, channel members. Go ahead and leave us a comment down below who made the best debut here, guys. You know, there's a lot of other people who made great debuts who didn't get the upset. Just those guys focused on today. But there's a ton to pick from, so let us know who you thought was the best. Give us a thumbs up if you enjoyed the video, worked hard on it, and uh, give a subscribe if you want to see more from us. But uh, I'll see you in the next one. Thank you very much. Have a good day.